Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Volrath Feed. This is the show to find out everything you didn't know about the world of commercial food service. I'm your host, Rich Rupp, product trainer and chef at the Volrath Company. And also, as always, we have our co-host and producer, Justin Pearson, with us today. Justin, how are you? I'm doing great today, Rich. And what about yourself? Anything yeah. new and exciting? No, not really. It's, it's, it is what it is, right? We're all kind of living through this and you know, we do what we do inside and especially yeah. in the north now where we are where there's <laughs> non-conducive to being outside but we can't complain this has been actually a pretty mild start to it all hasn't it it's been really great here actually it's been a very mild fall yeah and uh you know fingers crossed that i don't have to pull the snowblower out that much this year <laughs> right that would be nice. Actually, this year, for the first time in a long time, I got all of our flowers and everything, pots put away. Usually, I'm running around, you know, the snow's <laughs> coming down, and I'm out there trying to get them inside before they get I wet, know. and then they freeze and break, and that's you know, just a mess. Legit was the first time I had all the leaves picked up, done, you know, got the final mowing, and I swapped out the the lawnmower with the snowblower and everything is just like ready and i'm like I'm, I'm ready for winter this is like never happened huh. and we all be happy if it didn't come <laughs> yeah right <laughs> ready or not i don't care i don't want it to come but yeah we'll deal with it hey today on the show we are going to learn more about the world of design from another consultant i know we've had consultants on the show but it's always interesting because um they all have their areas of interest and expertise and i think that uh, that's always interesting, of course, to hear a different perspective. So this is another one of the services that sometimes smaller operators don't feel they maybe have the luxury of or the budget. But I'll bet many find that uh, that thinking might be their first mistake they make in a redesign project. Oh, yeah. You know, a, a good consultant, I, I think we've talked before, it really is, um, you know, they have a, a body of work that they draw from, experiences. They have... Um, just a, a, a vision or an, an instinct, if you will, as to what works and what doesn't. And they can avoid a lot of the common mistakes, I suppose, that people make, right? Yeah. It, when you look at the initial sticker price and you're like, oh, gosh, you know, how, how I, I can't afford that. I can design my own space. And then you look at, okay, well, if I'm going to be open for 20, 30, 40 years, how much is this design flaw in the beginning going to cost me over the long haul? Right. And then it really starts to make a lot more sense to hire somebody who's a proven professional in, in designing spaces. Right. I, I know I went to school and one of the classes I had was facility management. And it was a facility design and management. Part of it was designing spaces. And I remember going through the class and them telling us certain things that were good designs and other things that were bad designs. And I remember thinking of my parents' restaurant. My dad just had it remodeled. And I come back home from school and I'd say, Dad, that's not a good design. And he kind of got uh, a little worked <laughs> up over that. But you know, he, he just he and an architect sat down and, and kind of wrote or scripted out or drew out what he wanted. So, you know, it is what it is at that point. And to this day, it's still in that design. And every time I see it, I still think, well, that's really not right, but it works. So, yeah. you know, well, yeah. yeah. It works because yep. you get used to it, and that's yeah, just kind exactly. of the way it is. Uh, it logic and common sense works at different levels when when you're designing a space, and there's there's a lot of other key factors that that you might not consider that somebody who 
does it professionally and that's all that they do that it's it's just routine for them and mm -hmm. and it's it's always helpful to have at least at the very least to have another set of eyeballs on your on your design and your space and your concept right it, it it's one of those areas again that um you know the damage is done but mm -hmm. you make it work so you live with it and and that's the the whole thing that you would say hiring a consultant earlier should avoid but like my dad in many spaces um you, you learn to live with it and it worked and it, it didn't sink the business is what i mean by it works it still doesn't work right but <laughs> it didn't it wasn't a fatal flaw let's put it that way and yeah. we see that all over think about all the places especially think about like those tiny little maybe very unique places. Like think about Chicago, the Italian beef places. Mm -hmm. A lot of those were just little shops, mom and pops. And, you know, they don't really, you walk in, you can tell it's an older establishment, but people just love it, right? There's something about that kind of a business that it's been there forever. Mm -hmm. He's got a Nesco that he's been using for, this, for the last how many years he's got his beef in. And that's just the way it is. And you accept that things aren't, perfect you accept that yeah. well, i gotta stand here then i move over here and over on this little piece of wood hanging off the wall there's a a jar for the peppers you just you just live with it right but we we don't think when we walk into a restaurant that's a new restaurant we wouldn't accept those things right no no you're right because in, in an older place it's like those inconveniences they've been earned mm. you know the, the, that Good tradition so you you put up with it because you know what you're getting is going to be amazing and yeah, it's, it's, it's more of a quirk at that point. And That's then fun. Yeah. It's, it, and then when you go into a new place and if you run into a similar, uh, You're like no way this isn't that's, right. That's a flaw. It's not <laughs> right? a quirk anymore. And it's like, this is broken. You yeah. Know? It's lost the appeal. Yeah. And then, then, <laughs> and then you're just turned off to everything else at that point. You're like, I don't care. Yeah. It's just food's going to be terrible now. Right. All right, Justin. Well, you know, it is that time we want to bring our guest on the show as we've been talking here about all the things we think and the way that uh, design and consulting goes. But our guest today, as we mentioned, uh, 35 years in the industry is, I'm sure, going to give us a, a real education here and our listeners. And so without further ado, we are going to bring on our guest, who is, once again, Armand Yaya, who is the regional manager at Cine Little International down in Chicago. Armand, welcome to the Volrath feed. Hello. How are you guys? We're doing all right. <laughs> you know, managing we're doing yeah it's the sun is out you know, is it snowing there not uh, yet no not yet Shh. actually it's been lacking this year it seems like for, for oh. snow yeah I, I i just cursed us you know and just jinxed us <laughs> right there so it's probably gonna start snowing right now but yes uh, yes and chicago's but, is is doing well are you uh under snow or sun today or uh we are under sun bright sunshine nice cool crisp day uh the snow is apparently drifting off to the east. So we gave it to Michigan and said, fair riddance. <laughs> good, good. So, Aaron, we, uh, we've been talking a little bit about some of the things that we notice um, in design. Like my, my father redesigned his restaurant, and mm -hmm. there's some things in there. And uh, just the things that we talked about with, like when we walk into a space, you can just kind of tell immediately if it's been well designed or not. Does that kind of stuff? I mean, you must just have a fit when you walk into a place and you're like seeing some of that stuff immediately, right? <laughs> um, yeah, 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 yeah. I, you know, I, I look at. Well, I guess it depends too on um, what kind of a place am I walking into. Mm. Is it a 
very casual chain type restaurant, okay, they're all going to be somewhat the same. Or is it something really special that uh, is, you know, maybe a place that you go to once a year for a break the bank dinner. And then you go, hmm, is it really that spectacular? You know, first impression. Mm-hmm. Um, is it, uh, does that display cooking f- uh, function, if they have one, you know, does that look really interesting? And I have been known to walk up to where the waiters are picking up and just looking around and saying, mm-hmm, okay, <laughs> you know, what are you doing? Let's see how you're doing it. That's, you know, so. that's the curse of the industry. We all tend to want to get in the kitchen mm-hmm. and, and see what's going on back there, right? Uh, well, yeah, you just want to see how are they doing it, mm-hmm. what are they doing it with, um, and, you know, is it working for them? Right. That's that's the big thing is like, is it working for them? Everybody has to adapt to their surroundings and there's always a better way to do something. But when it comes to design and, and spaces, there's got to be so many right answers to, to a problem and, well, and yeah. many more wrong answers as well. Yes, yes. I mean, you know, you look at a lot of places and it's like, you know, oh, why did you do it that way? And, you know, um, well, if you just kind of made this little change, it might work a whole lot better for you. But uh, sometimes they've been doing it that way forever and ever, and that's the only way they know. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, you know, this is the equipment that we got, you know, and... We can't afford to add anything new right now, or the space is just jam-packed, and there is no way, no how, that we can add any more room. So So how does that work when you are with a client and you see something that's just, it's just not working? And you can see it's not working, but yet they have done it that way forever. You know, do you ever have situations where you try to, redesign a space and just get that pushback and it, it, you can clearly yeah. see it's wrong. And how do you handle that with your clients? Well, okay. We were working on a project, you know, recently and, um, you know, the clients operator said, this is what I want. And we, you know, drew it out and it's like, Hmm, you know, and we said, well, this might be a better way of doing it. And he said, no, 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 that's what I want. And okay. Even the architect said, you know, he thought we had the better idea, but this is what the client wanted. So it's like, okay, it's your show. You know, you got to live with it. So, you know, we had to give him what he wanted. (laughs) Have you ever had anybody come back and say, you know what, Armand, I was wrong? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, actually, they they tend to figure out, well, you know, I'm going to live with it and the other thing, you don't know how long did they actually last with no. that operation, you know, because as we all know, I mean, restaurants can be very ephemeral these days. Mm-hmm. So that that's another uh, interesting point we wanted to talk to you about. You, you've been in the business 35 years and you have... Uh, I'm sure worked on places and then come back around and worked on them and maybe come back around again and worked on them. And <laughs> Well, actually, yeah. I mean, we are, we're working on a hotel project now that we designed 
oh gosh, it's a little over, well, it's probably about 22 years ago. Huh. And so we are uh, redoing all of the food service because they found out that the place was far more successful than they ever thought it was going to be. And so, you know, the uh, the one chef de cuisine was uh, saying, this is the way we've really got to change things because, you know, we are just being swamped with all the business that we've got. So, yeah, we're redoing just about every facility in the hotel to adapt to the volume, but also to adapt to the current menus that people want today. Huh. What does that look like to go back and redo your own work? Are there things that you're like, wow, what was I thinking when I did that? Or was it all like, yeah, this is pretty well, solid and we just need to retool it? Um, okay, the project is overseas. And so we had kind of designed it with an American U.S. aesthetic. Ah. And so the, uh, the chef de cuisine who was Italian said, no, 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 we have to do it this way. So we're doing it a much more European style. But we are also adding more uh, high-capacity cooking equipment than we had previously. So what does that mean when you say you're more European style? What design element are you speaking of there? Well, okay, first off, it's all European equipment. So that in itself is slightly different because sizes are different. Um, oh, and, yeah, all the way to that, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and... He prefers the more uh, Waldorf-style cooking range uh, arrangement as opposed to just having more of the straight-line um, L-shaped type uh, equipment layout that we would do here. Ah, okay. So, yes, we change things around, and he says, well, this is the way the cooks here are used to doing it. Okay, I can't, you know. I can't change their whole operating style. So, yeah, this is what we gave them. And it works. Have you always tried to design for that particular region or country? Or you, what did it start out like bringing American-style design concepts with you? You have to ask the, uh, the operator, what do they want? What are they intending to serve? And you kind of have to go from there. Also, just to know, well, what type of equipment is the uh, supplier going to be providing? Because, I mean, especially in the Middle East, you have uh, a importer of the equipment who imports certain lines, be it from Ali Group, be it from Electrolux, you know, be it from the uh, American suppliers, and he is going to provide that equipment. It will be similar maybe to what you've designed, but you have to know that if it's going to be primarily European equipment, then you kind of want to design for that because some of the things that we do here, they don't make there as far as equipment goes. And sizes are different. What are some examples of things that they do there or that they don't incorporate that we do here? I mean, I'm sure there's like 
a million different ways to accomplish a task. And mm -hmm. being in the U.S., we're only really privy to what we see around us. And we just automatically assume that maybe that's the best. Because Okay. Um, as an example, a six-burner range. We make them here. They're all over the place. But it's a 36-inch module. Uh, European modules are typically 30 inches. And that means that it's only a four-burner range. So if we have shown six burners on our layout, then they have to do a 30-inch range plus then another half-size range. So the sizing starts going off. And when that happens a couple times, what you had shown under your cook line doesn't fit. And also we tend to like charboilers here maybe over in Europe, not so much. They do things more saute or they want flanches. So it's a different mindset. And you kind of have to talk through them to see what are they going to do and how are they going to do it? So then when you're evaluating a job overseas, do you work with that supplier then and, and trust that they understand some of that stuff or is that uh -huh. still your oversight? Well, um, we know some of the big suppliers overseas, and um, if I know that it's going to be all European equipment anyway, um, it's not too hard to just design it all that way, because whether it's uh, equipment coming from the Ali group, whether it's coming from Electrolux or coming from uh, you know any of the other number of European manufacturers, they all basically design to the same certain footprints. So the big, as I say, the bigger question is, is it going to be U.S. equipment or is it going to be European equipment? Because that is then the deciding factor. What about companies overseas that want to bring an American theme? Do they then go with American equipment in it or do you think uh, they still are designing to European or the regions? You know, well... What I have seen is like uh, the chain restaurants overseas, because I mean, be it a McDonald's or be it a Burger King or, you know, a Wendy's, they tend to adapt themselves to the available equipment that's there because they want to have, you know, the service capabilities nearby. Um, yeah. Uh -huh. So. They they have adapted themselves, um, and it's not that hard for them to do because, I mean, if you're going to have 200 restaurants in some European location, it makes sense for you to adjust your, you know, cooking requirements. Do it once because they're all of those 200 places are going to use the same thing. Right, right. So that sounds like... Again, the, another side of the business that normally you, you just don't consider it. It's kind of a, a a big mistake if you're to go into another area and not have equipment that the service companies know and understand. Uh -huh. Oh, very yes. big. Yeah. What What are some other thinking of the U.S. market? What are some big mistakes that people commonly make that you see? Well, they... I mean, a lot of times uh, they design things with very very specific intense and we all know that flexibility flexibility is the key word these days because 
you do have to change things on a dime when mother nature or somebody else hits you with a big, Mm -hmm. you know, change and you all of a sudden have to start doing things differently, serving takeout as opposed to all those people dining in the restaurant. Um, You have to be able to be flexible. And if things are designed solely for doing it one way, you're going to have a lot of problems. How how is that process going for you now uh, with all the the new COVID world that we live in and going post COVID? <laughs> some some of these new design elements are probably going to last for a while. You know, yeah, you're you're asking for a crystal ball here because <laughs> um, nobody knows, you know, how long this COVID environment is going to last. We hope that it's got maybe a year and then things come back to normal. But I don't think normal is going to be all of a sudden, you know, it's not going to turn a switch and all of a sudden we're normal again. Now it's going to be a gradual change. I hope back to, uh, you know, being able to sit in a restaurant, maybe not tightly packed as we had been used to, but still in a restaurant and slowly, going back to the way things had been. Some things may never go back that way, though. Right. Are you seeing new designs, new concepts that are designing for a future-proof world? Like the, the anticipating, like maybe, you know, down the road, there's something else that oh, puts yeah. restrictions on them. I mean, the big one of the big questions right now, especially in the uh, real estate biz, is how many offices... Are people going to re- need uh, downtown Chicago? You know, people are working from home. So does company A need space for 200 employees there? Or is it just going to be 50, 75 because everybody else is working from home? And, you know, is that cafeteria that they had been talking about you know, going to be considerably downsized because we have fewer employees that are there now. Hmm. That's a big question that they're wrestling with. And I don't know if they've come up with any real answers because all of these companies, you know, are trying to figure out, well, who really wants to work from home, who needs to work from home and um, who has to be in the office? Just it just still feels like that limbo phase. It is. is well, we're, it, we're it, waiting for something. Yeah, I mean, it is that limbo phase, and it's going to take a little bit of time to sort itself out. I'm afraid, just because we don't have the crystal ball to know, you know, when normal comes home. Right. You you know you mentioned some of the trends like flexibility and and in, in the right now that's a something that people should be concerned with because you don't want to be too limited. But through your career, what are some of the other big trends that you've seen? Maybe come and go or what? The, yeah, I, oh, my God. Well, food trends come and go, like, on a couple yearly basis. You know, like, uh, every so often there's a food trend that it's the current uh, latest thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody seems to have to have it. But then a couple of years later, it's like, okay, well, 
sushi was in, you know, mm-hmm. now something it's maybe passe. Yeah. Um, barbecue was in for a while and uh, maybe it starts to fade. Um, Italian was, you know, hot for a while and maybe it starts to fade. And, well, because people start to get tired of the same thing, right. you know, and so after they've had something for a year or two, it's like, okay, I've had this again and again, you know, show me something new. But like design wise, like I think display kitchens were big. Yeah. I've heard uh, many, many years ago, like in New York, they, were, they had a kitchen that was exposed to the dining area. And then that mm-hmm. kind of maybe went away and then you see it come back again. So that's a kind of a major shift in, in the way restaurants are designed. Yeah, Any other it is. things I mean, like that you and, can recall? Um, I think, you know, display cooking probably will never go away just because uh, people do and I say people, the uh, guest likes to see the show. Mm-hmm. And depending on the chef, he may like to be putting on a show or maybe he just wants to do his thing, you know, back in the kitchen and uh, not want to be, you know, in the spotlight. Well, there's a lot of kitchens that probably would would they don't like the idea that some of their things can be exposed, right? For various reasons. <laughs> well, for various reasons, yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, secrets. Well, you know, if the chef likes to holler at his <laughs> yeah. employees, that maybe doesn't go over well, you know, in a open kitchen. Right. <laughs> I know my my family has a restaurant. There's an open kitchen enclosed in glass, and a lot of people that come in for the first time feel a little bit like the monkey in the cage. You know, you feel like you're on display, and and that's a hard thing for some of them to get through. Mm-hmm. Once you get busy, you kind of forget about it. And some of the things that um, I remember once we had a chef that was very experienced, came in and he cut a piece of toast in half and half the piece went on the floor and he was bending down, I think, to pick it up. And I said, whoa, 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 you, you, don't, <laughs> you don't do those things. But some of the things that happen in, in back kitchens, ah, yes. uh, you know, that should never be. And well, you have to be aware of everything that goes on when you're yes. in front. Yes, you do. Because... All of the little sins that you used to live with mm-hmm. are uh, maybe not going to fly, you know, with, uh, you know, 80, 90 people all looking at you. All right. Yeah. Your your guests, they, they appreciate that, you know, for the show, mm-hmm. but also, you know, they like to keep an eye on their food and make sure <laughs> yeah. that those toast doesn't come up yeah. off the floor. Well, oh, I was, re- yeah. I remember we were sitting at a... Um, restaurant gosh this is maybe two years ago now you know and we were right up front you know watching the assembly you know and you know i was just sitting there you know watching everything and just kind of making some side comments to my partner and uh the cook comes up to me and says are you in the biz because you know you're not the usual uh you know guest here just going la di da di da you know (laughs) You know, because I was the way I was just watching everything mm-hmm. being assembled and, yeah. you know, make a comment, well, they're doing this and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, are you in the biz? You know, <laughs> you got some tells. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, what um, some of the things I think we've talked about so far, uh, larger operations, I think it's it's pretty obvious you, you want to get some help in and make sure that these bigger spaces are designed right because there's there's a lot that goes on and, and you want to make sure it goes right. What would you say to a smaller operator that thinks they want to try to 
venture through things on their own. I mean, what do you think your your most compelling um, argument would be for hiring a consultant, even in small operations? Uh, even if they don't want us to do the whole shebang for them, let us come in and let's give you the basic layout. And that way, you know, we will avoid you know, any pitfalls that you might walk into Mm -hmm. and, you know, you can then take this and run with it, go buy your own equipment. But, you know, we can make sure that it's going to make the health department happy. It's going to meet the ADA requirements and all of those other things that a, you know, restaurateur may not be up and you know uh, current with mm-hmm. yeah too many people i think just rely on architect or contractor just to be like okay this is where this goes and that's where that should go and and without realizing that things change over the years <laughs> oh yes <laughs> codes change and you know well well we were able to do this a couple of years ago we only had two hand sinks okay that's fine but now the health department wants four hand sinks. And if you haven't planned for it and got them plumbed in, it's a real pain to try and do that at the last minute. Do you see a lot of those uh, grandfathered places? uh, Is that even a thing? I mean, it's grandfathering only works when it's the same operator that's been there forever, you know, but when a new place, a new operator comes in, you know, and takes over. Well, then I think the grandfather is out the you know, out the door because now you have to bring it to code. Gotcha. So is that the owner of the building or is that the operator if it's a rented? Ah, it kind of depends on what their tenant lease said. Really? You know, okay. if uh, what what's the lease including and who is responsible for other changes, you know, who puts the bill for it. That's all in the fine print. Uh-huh. Once again, all the reasons to uh, hire a professional, you know, in all other areas of our lives, we all would admit there are certain things we just, we shouldn't be attempting on our own, but this is one that, Restaurant operators sometimes just feel a little maybe too confident they can they can handle it, and sometimes it can it can prove to be costly if you don't do yeah, it right. Yeah, I mean because uh, health departments yeah. are not too uh, forgiving sometimes, you know, because you know they'll be accommodating to a point, but you still have to meet you know, their basic code. So what is like one of the biggest mistakes that you see people commonly make? Mm. (laughs) The people that that try to wing it. I would say not having enough hand sinks because... Really? I mean, as when I started, you know, yes, the the rule was maybe uh, one hand sink, you know, in a 16-foot radius. But now I see the health departments wanting a hand sink in each area of operation even though those two areas might be side by side and close doesn't make a difference 
you have to have a hand sink in each area of operation. Well, what's it like staying up on health codes internationally? Are they pretty similar or do they just widely uh, vary from Oh, they're countries? they're all over. That's very very different. Um many places are not as stringent as we are here, you know, I cuz I look at something overseas and you know, it's wide open. There's no food shield or anything else. And we just say, oh, that would never fly here, <laughs> you know. But that's what they can do over there. Um, so, you know, it's just, it's different. And in many cases, if you're doing a project uh, overseas, let's say in the Middle East, where uh, the hotel operators say, um, you know, has other properties all around the world. They know that the local facilities are not as stringent. They'll just tell us, look, you have to design this to North American codes because they know that those are the toughest and, you know, the most rigorous. So they want the, that property there to meet our standards. Uh. So one area that I think is is coming up as um, certainly more popular in the last, say, 10 years that I've seen is energy. And uh-huh. lead is a big area I know, and, and I see it actually on some buildings that it's yes. a certified building. So yes. for our guests, can you go into a little bit about what lead is and then just talk about um, you know how, how you work that into design and what are the elements of it? Well, okay, lead is a program and process to um, minimize the overall energy usage uh, that is necessary, you know, not only for the operation of the facility, but also for the creation of the facility. Um, We have to look at finding equipment that is energy star rated. we try to look at uh, equipment that is local to the project, provided that it meets all of the necessary operating requirements, but it minimizes the amount of transportation that the equipment had to uh, utilize in order to bring it from the factory to where it's being installed. Well, that's an area I never would have thought they would consider, but it certainly makes sense. Why ship something from right. 2,000 miles away if you can get it locally and save some of the carbon, right? Lower that carbon footprint. That's, you know, one of the things that we tend to look at. Uh, usage of uh, energy, yes. Uh, minimizing the waste impact that they are going to produce. Um, so... You know, all of those things, you know, start going into lead. And there are different levels of uh, lead. I think there's silver, there's gold, there's platinum. Um, You know, all of those have different criteria of the number of points that you have to achieve in order to achieve that level of lead. And it gets, you know, more and more tricky trying to come up with all of these points. Now, 
food service is just a part of it. The building, its structure, its materials, all of those things factor the into the lead process. So is lead then the, or is the advantage of getting lead just simply the energy savings that the, the business can uh, well, they also, realize, or is it? They also get tax savings mm-hmm. too, I believe. And the lead level has to be reauthorized every year or every couple years just to maintain to make sure that they are still maintaining those those level of points that they got initially so it's not something that you just do once and then you're over and done with no you know they have to keep up their uh operating process to maintain that lead status there's a whole lot more to that than I think uh, I realize for sure. And some buildings tout lead, right? They oh, put yes. it right on the outside. Yeah, they yeah, have yeah. a plaque or something. I mean, well, because being, quote, green has become more and more socially acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, and people look at that. And then for many people, it's a deciding factor. Do they want to deal with this these people? you know, if they are socially conscious or, you know, not bother with them. So Mm -hmm. it's a selling point. It tells people that, you know, we are trying to do our best to, you know, preserve the environment. Mm -hmm. And food service generates a lot of the uh, energy use that you have in a building, a a restaurant. um, We are notorious energy hogs. Even down to the waste that restaurants generate that all that is factored in isn't it all of that is factored in you know and if you can come up with a uh a new and a new way of uh, minimizing that waste well fine then you can get a point for lead and you know when we're doing a building and the architects say look we've got to try and achieve you know this level of you know lead and what can you do to help us achieve this you know what can you do to help? how common is it that places request lead right now that, that your clients it varies with the project and the scale of the project generally it's the bigger jobs that want to do this yeah i'd say half and half maybe okay so when you talk about some of the bigger jobs i i know uh Cindy little does a lot of the big jobs you earn everything from corporate healthcare, uh, hospitality sports, leisure, all those mm-hmm. different venues. W- which one of those venues are, do you have the most, like, are, which one of those venues does the most remodeling or, or changing in, in time? Is it the ones that are most affected by trends or the ones that want to just always have uh, a fresh look? Or I would say it's the high-end hotels because they are selling their appearance, their overall environment and you know they always have to keep it fresh you know so they are the ones that you know want to make changes periodically just to make sure that you know they are not looking you know dowdy and passe because there's always new people on the block you know that are going to have nicer things so if you don't keep up with them, you know, you're going to lose the business. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a cycle that once you start, you cannot stop. <laughs> no, you cannot. I mean, you have to, you know, keep freshening things so that, you know, you keep people's attention. And people are quick to point those things out with social media. Oh, and... especially, you know, the picky or high end clients because they've seen it all. They've been there and, oh, well, you don't look as nice as this other place that I was at <laughs> last week, you know, and that mindset just permeates and they tell other people mm. and they're the ones that get quoted in the news or on, you know, the social media. So what is one of the more peculiar designs that you've seen that, that just kind of stuck with you in your mind or, or something that was just so far out of code that you're just like, how has this place not been shut down yet? Yeah. <laughs> well, we, don't, you, we don't need those, to call the, anybody else. No, 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 no names. Those are the places, however, that have probably been grandfathered. The ones that are so far out of, so far out, you know, well, it's fine. But they've been there for 70 years and... The very fact that the place hasn't burned down is, is you know, a major accomplishment. Yeah. We were talking about some of this earlier in the show, and I, I brought up, thinking of Chicago, some of the Italian beef places, right? Some of these guys have been in business for so long. They started with just a, a single, uh -huh. you know, hot well or something, and, they, and they've just been doing it for so long that uh, some of it is probably not in code anymore. And uh, but yet those are the fun places to go because yeah, they've yeah. got the history. It's like oh, yeah. Justin said it; they've earned the right to be that way, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where you know it's just inconvenient, you know, and you know that if they just changed a couple little things, they could, work, you know, work out a flow that would be so much more conducive to uh, getting people in and out at a more efficient rate. You know, but and then you know, yeah, people put up with these inconveniences because uh, they've well, earned they it over time and tradition. You're right. They've earned it, and they are who they are, and uh, the food is really good. Mm -hmm. um, you don't know how they do it, but it's really good, and so you said you put up with it now. Yeah. But they're also the ones that can get caught with their pants down when something like COVID happens, mm -hmm. and they cannot do things the old mm -hmm. way, and they have to figure out, well, how am I going to do takeout? You know, how am I going to do, you know, uh, driver pickups and all of that stuff that they never had to worry about. So, yeah. Yeah. Have you had anybody come to you with their hands up in the air and like, because of COVID, I don't know what to do. Save us. Help us. What what can we do? Well, um, no, I have not. Um, I mean, because they are either trying to figure it out on their own, or they say they're just going to close via yeah. temporarily, you know, and just try and wait it out. I was going to ask, how has your job changed in your career? I mean, oh, it's just fun to talk one. to ah. someone who's been doing something for a, a long enough time <laughs> that has some probably interesting things that have happened throughout their career. Well, I mean, when I started, um, we still had a, uh, God, what was it, a telex machine in the office. Um, There's a bunch you know. of people Googling right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, 
you know, everything was drawn by hand. Sydney Little was one of the first places to have a CAD system. Is that right? Did I? Yes, we were. Story? Yes, we were. And I remember seeing those first CAD drawings, you know, because it was a pen plotter, which was it was interesting to watch this little thing, you know, moving all over. Um, but yeah, I mean, everything was on paper and we thought it was really amazing that you could send the drawing over fax, you know? So <laughs> there's another thing people have to look at. What's a fax machine? <laughs> yes. What are some of the, the cultural shifts that have happened over the past 30 plus years, uh, within the design world? Hmm. Uh, as far as, um, was it uh, a, a male-dominated field? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, and now, you know, we just see, you know, there's more women, more minorities. It's They're all coming into the biz. And that's good because they're bringing their experience and their uh, lifestyles in and sharing it with all of the people that we have to work with. Uh, and the clients, they want to have a multicultural experience because that's what their clients and their guests are asking for. Hmm. Where, where are some good resources for a small operation to to get out there and see how can I improve what I'm doing um, just by, by observing what other people are doing out in the world? Well, I would tell somebody, especially if they're in a major metropolitan area, you know, go to the trade shows and mm, just mm. look and see what's out there because, you know, you start seeing things. Well, oh, gosh, I never knew that existed. Um, you never knew that this other brand of equipment had a feature that maybe is very helpful to you. Um, I went to the, uh, the host show in Milan uh, last year, first time, and I was really amazed at the equipment that I saw there, things that I had no idea ever existed. Hmm. But companies in other parts of the world were making this stuff for those markets, and it's like, wow, okay, hmm. I will file that away for the next time somebody says, I really need to do this. Well, that's, again, your the value that a a, qual, a a consultant brings. There's your the value that someone like yourself or a good salesperson that can be a partner to an operator that 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 this person goes to those shows and learns and sees the things that are out there they can help and that's the value that that kind of stuff brings to an operator. Yeah, I mean uh people that have, you know, a certain level of experience could as you say can say, "Well, I saw this and it might be what you need. Very good. I'd like to know, it's like, what, what's one of the coolest things you, you've seen overseas that you're like, you know what? That would be really great if people over here would start using <laughs> this tool. Yeah. Like, what, what was one of the coolest things you saw at Milan? You're like, wow, that is awesome. Um, okay. There was a device, and it was made by this company in Greece for roasting um, multiple uh, whole lambs on a rotisserie and wow. you could do two, one, two or three different uh, lamb 
huh. carcasses at one time. And yeah. they made this primarily for the Middle Eastern market where a roasted baby lamb is a typical banquet uh, entree. So hmm, I'd never seen anything like that before. And it's like, okay, that's very interesting. I, I see somebody modifying that design and, and making it for like whole hog here. Okay. Know? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But as I said, you see yeah. things. Uh, there was a device that was for making Turkish coffee, uh, which was just press a button, boom, it did everything for you. And it's, okay, I had never seen anything like that before. Is that the one that's more like a, a technique too? Well, well, it's where they put the very fine ground coffee in a, a small little pot on the stove and add boiling water to it. And uh, you typically, you know you've had it in a cup when you see this like half inch or three quarter inch layer of mud on the bottom of the cup. I mean, those are the coffee grounds. And yeah. uh, it was just really amazing to see it because again the people in the, uh, that part of the world especially in high up hotels they want what they want and of course the hotel is says of course sir we can do this for you you know they never will say you know gee i'm sorry we can't make that or we can't do that no it's of course we can do it and you're you know have to pull a rabbit out of the hat <laughs> Speaking of one trend I was just thinking of, uh, where, where do you see the, the low, you know, I know in the 70s when Alto Sham came out with their Halo Heat, at long, slow cook times mm -hmm. have, have always been around, and we know the benefits of them. Sous vide kind of uh, capitalized on that as well with that very precise controlled low-end cooking, and then there's CVAP ovens and so forth. Do you still see that kind of product trending or is that now plateauing or um, where do you see sous vide and CVAP and those things? I think sous vide is going to continue for a while just because it is a very precise way of doing things and it lets you have a lot of things at the ready so that you know you can uh, heat the food up to a desired temperature with minimal skill levels and have a product that is just really spectacular at the end. Um, and sous vide also lets you do things, you know, because it's in a vacuum pack, you know, that you could not really do otherwise as far as infusing flavors and other uh, ingredients into a product. Do you, do you get requests for that in larger operations? And how do you handle that? We always joke that you'd need a hot tub, more or less, for a big enough uh, water bath for large events. Where do you, what do you do for a, the larger, say, banquets and larger well, facilities? Well, banquets, maybe not so much. But, mm -hmm. you know, in restaurants, in the restaurant um, or in the room service operation, you know, where you're having to do onesie-twosies um, and having that stuff, you know, being able to have it hard cooked part ready to go just needing to be heated up you know makes a big difference yeah I, I always saw use for that as you mentioned there with room service say 
you know, after the chef has gone home, that you can have lower skilled employees at one o'clock in the morning still producing some pretty quality meals. Yes. Oh, yes. I, I mean, mean they just advantage. have to dump the bag, you know, into mm-hmm. the hot water for X number of minutes. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just, you know, going to give you a, an acceptable product. So, yes, I mean, that's the, you know, the beauty of it. Uh, banqueting is still going to be bulk production. It has to be, you know, when you're doing 300, 400, 1,000 meals, you know, all at once. Yeah. That's more of a combi oven type situation. Oh, there. yes. Roll-ins, you know, mm-hmm. roll-ins, pressure brazing pans, you know, big production. You know, those things, you just have to have it for that kind of volume. Okay. Well, Armand, thank you so much for uh, everything here today. I think we're, uh, I, I, we could just keep talking here for a long time. It's been very interesting. So thank you very much again for joining us today. Uh, but before we let you go, mm-hmm. we always like to ask our guests at some point in your career or your life that there's been a quote or something you've been told by someone or, or read that, that, that stuck with you. Do you have anything like that you could share with our guests today? Okay, um, I'll let you figure out if you can guess where it's from. Oh. Life All is right. a banquet, and most poor sons of bitches are starving to death. <laughs> Anti-mame. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, I did not know. That's from the Broadway show. It wasn't in the movie. I like that. I mean, you can you can dive into that one from multiple <laughs> angles. <laughs> Good thing to think about when you when thinking about uh, what what we can doing our lives and what we have uh, to go out there and could be doing. Yes. Yeah. Right. Ahead of us. Very good. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for that. Uh, is there anything you want to remind anyone as far as uh, looking? I know you write some blogs or some things on, mm. on your senior little site or yeah. anything like that. You want to let our listeners know of, you know, just think about what you're doing now and what's a different way of doing it. Because at some point, you know, you will have to change things around and, you know, be still being able to get from point A to point B and knowing how to do it in a different way can come in very handy at times. Mm-hmm. Very good. All right. Well, again, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to talk with us today. It's been a lot of fun. I know our listeners appreciate hearing your insights, your, your career, 35 years in the industry, certainly, uh, seen and done a lot of things and, and very insightful for us and helping our listeners to recognize some of those things. And uh, so again, once we appreciate your time and wish you the best of luck with everything moving forward. And thanks again for being on the Volrath feed. Well, thank you for having me. All right, Justin. Well, kind of like we thought, right? We were going to get a seasoned professional many mm-hmm. years in the business. And he certainly had a lot of good things, I think, for our listeners and just, um, a lot of things he talked about. It just that importance of having your eyes open all the time and mm-hmm. and being willing to change. And if you don't, I mean, like we talked about some of the places we brought up the the Chicago uh, Italian beef stands, but and that's great if you if you stick with what you've got. But it, sometimes it limits your flexibility, and, and right. then you can't adapt, right? And that's well, and that's yeah, that's a big thing about working with a consultant is they are going to do everything in their power so that. You don't design for failure, you know? Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what stuck with me a lot as well is that knowing your clientele. When he talked about the yeah. the hotel guests and how 
you know, they were going to come in and they'd just been to XYZ hotel previously. If you don't measure up, what does that mean for you? You know, you could still have a very nice place, very modern, very clean, very functional. But if it wasn't the latest and greatest, does that make you look a little less than the other place they were just at? Exactly. And hotel yeah. guests are like that. They, they travel all over. Yeah. I, I thought of that one in particular because my mom's restaurant, she's been in business now over 40 years. And I have this tendency to always think it's dated and I don't like some of the things because I think it looks dated. But then you listen to the customers and they all tell you they like it. You know, so there's a balance between yeah. wanting to be updated and modern, but listen to your customers. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to tell you what they want. Your customers are listening to their customers and they might be going to a place because it's comfortable, because right. it, it's, it makes them feel good, mm-hmm. feel like tradition, feel like uh, past experiences. And that's what their expectations are. And then when you hit like, like the hotels, that their customers want to see the latest, the greatest always. And you always have to be delivering that. And you've got to come up with a formula that allows you to continually deliver those results for them because it's, it's uh, very cyclical and it's never going to end. They're always going to be coming back to that well and it, it can't go dry. That is it. Exactly. So a lot of good stuff. Armand, good guest. Yeah. All right. Well, Justin, I guess it's that time to wrap things up. So any closing thoughts on your end? You know, I do, Rich. I would like to remind everybody to hit that subscribe button and never miss another moment with a chef or industry professional again. And we would also greatly appreciate it if you would leave us a review. Please let us know how we're doing. Let us know what we can improve upon. Let us know what you'd like us to talk about. We are open to your suggestions and we would love to hear from you. Yes, indeed. Reach out. Let us know at ballrathfoodservice.com slash the feed. And as I like to end every show, don't worry about anybody else and what they're doing. Just keep focusing on what you do best. Listen to those customers and no one's going to beat you. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week ahead. Until next time, take care.